0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
1: Say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Give thanks
0: because he has given Jesus Christ his son. We have much to be thankful for. One of those things that we have to be thankful for is our grace. His all-sufficient grace that is greater than all of our sin.
2: One day, one day I will. One day I'm gonna walk on streets of pure gold. And they tell me the half has never yet been told. I'll be united. Hills. Yes, one day, one day I will. One day I'm gonna walk on streets of pure gold. And they tell me the half has never yet been told. I'll be united. loved ones on Zion's holy hills. Yes, one day, one day I will. I'll be united with loved ones on Zion's holy hills. Yes, one day,
0: One day I will walk on some streets of pure gold. If you don't ever throughout your week, set back and think something along those lines of one day I'm gonna look at those gates, and one day I'm gonna go into that place, and one day I'm gonna stare at the face of my Savior. If you don't ever sit back through the week and have thoughts like that, I'm going to ask you to get saved this week. (laughs) Because you ought to, through your week, spend time thinking about the fact that because you are a blood-bought believer of the child of the one true king, because that's who you are, one day you're going to stare in the face of your Savior. Not only your Savior, but your maker. And one day you're going to sing a song that you don't even know the words to right now. In a voice that you can't even sing with right now. In a body that you ain't seen yet. Mine's going to be thin. (laughs) Even when it eats homemade ice cream. Those of you that are wondering, I've been perfecting my homemade ice cream. No sense in you bringing any on the 29th if you want to win. But there is sense in you bringing some because your pastor likes to eat ice cream. So bring it on on the 29th. John chapter 8. John chapter 8 will be in the first 12 verses of John chapter 8, freedom from the burden of sin. And as we gather on this weekend before Independence Day for this country, I do want to say I thank God that I live in a country where we are free to worship, where we are free to enjoy so many of the freedoms uh, that we have in this country. Uh, None of us had to get a a special permission to come to this church this morning. Uh, Throughout the land, there are many other churches that are gathering this morning. Some gathered last night, even. uh, Many places throughout are free to worship. Nobody had to obtain a a permit or, or any of that to be able to come and do that. And that is a pretty good thing that we have going here in America. We see a lot of bad things that we have going and we have our share of problems. But my goodness, we can come and worship. And people that don't even know God are free to go and worship what they call their God. Now those heathens ought to get saved and come worship the real God. But think about the fact that they have that freedom here in this country to go and do that. We have so many freedoms that there's a group of people that have begun to worship like roller coasters and inanimate objects. And you know what? In this great country, they have the freedom to do that. Now they don't have the sense not to. But they got the freedom to do that. So we ought to celebrate the fact that we enjoy a lot of freedoms here in this country and not look at all the bad things we got going. We got some bad stuff. Yes, we do. But we got an awful lot of good things going here in America. But you know that this morning as we gather and we look to the fact that we enjoy all of these freedoms, we're going to be preaching on a subject that's even better than the freedom that we have here in America to go and do all the things that we have to do. And that is the freedom That never is going to end. My friends, I'm talking about the freedom that has set us free from our hell-bound state that we were born in. The freedom from the burden of sin. And this morning we look at a section of scripture that contains what is perhaps one of the most quoted phrases in all of the Bible from the secular world. This, of course, phrase is going to be found in verse 7 of our text this morning when he says, He who is without sin... Let him cast the first stone. How many times, Christian, have you heard that one? When you look to another brother or sister who was slipping into a life of sin or who was doing something that they knew they shouldn't be doing and you perhaps went to call them out on it. How many times, believer, have you gone to that friend of yours who doesn't know the Lord and you began to witness to them or tell them about Jesus or tell them about the life they're living and they're very quick to say, but in your Bible it says he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. so unless you're perfect you ought not be cast in the first stone obviously as believers none of us claim to be perfect we all just claim to be redeemed and forgiven not perfect so we all know we sin so by that logic if that's what that verse meant none of us would be able to point out the sin of others but if you look at the context of the whole bible you'll find that that's not what we're called to do we're called to stand firmly on the truth and we're called to stand on the fact that sin is sin whether you like it or not And we're supposed to point it out. And we're supposed to show it to be what it is. So obviously this phrase is being taken out of context by the secular world. This morning I believe you're going to see as we go through our message, we're going to find that that this phrase that Jesus utters, ye who are without the first sin, may you cast the first stone. He he is not in terms of, of protecting the sinner from the stone that was to be cast. He is in fact setting the standard of what that judgment is we're going to find that judgment is going to be Jesus Christ. That standard, that cornerstone, that mark, the only one that's worthy to pass that judgment is the only one who can pass judgment, and that's Jesus Christ. Please stand, if you are able this morning, as we read the holy words of God from John chapter 8, and we'll begin in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go, sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let us pray. God, our Father, we come to you this morning thankful for all of the freedoms... That we enjoy, but thankful most of all for the freedom, for the burden of sin. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. God, we thank you for your presence here in our midst this morning. God, we recognize that your Holy Spirit's presence among us is a gift. God, we don't take that for granted. And we ask that you would dwell among us for the next few minutes. If there be any devil or any demon or any... Uh, a thing in our mind that would hinder us from worship. God, would you escort it out the front door even now? That we would be able to worship you fully because you alone are worthy of that worship, God. You alone are worthy of that praise. God, let us glorify you in these next few minutes for it is in your precious name that we pray. As all of God's children said, amen, and you may be seated. I ask you this morning, what if you were identified... Not by your name, but instead by the sins that you had committed. What if you were publicly humiliated for all time for the sins that you committed? As we study this morning, I want you to think about that thought. What if you were known by your sin when you were introduced? I can tell you, I know that growing up in a town where my father owned a business... Generally speaking, when I introduce myself, people say, ah, you're the son of the plumber. That's how I've been recognized most of my life. Now, there was a long time in my life where I took offense to that. No, I am Jason. I am not merely Steve's son. Then I got older and I said, yeah, I'm the son of the plumber. You need anything done? Make friends that way when you can fix their plumbing. But I thought, what if it was my sin by which I was recognized? What if when they saw me, they said, Ah, you're the one that told that lie to your wife when you were first married. Ah, you're the one who lost his temper while driving down the road. You're the one who did this. You're the one who did that. Most of us here would have a laundry list of things that we would prefer not to be called when we were introduced. Yet here, we have a lady who's simply known etched in history as the woman caught in adultery. That's how she's identified. That's how we remember her. Anytime this story is told, it is told that the woman who was caught in adultery. And I want you to think about that because while adultery, this woman being caught in that, we're going to see that it was a very heinous thing that she did. It was not something she should have been doing. It was not something we can make light of or pretend didn't happen. But what I want you to realize is that her story is not very much different from your story. You could very easily be identified in exactly the same way by your sin. So first this morning, I want us to consider the sin that she is committing. The sin that she is committing. Verse 3 says that they brought him a woman caught in adultery. Caught in adultery. Consider the depravity of what she had done. The Feast of the Tabernacles is coming to an end. This is a, a holy time. Everyone had been to the church. Everyone had made their sacrifices and had prepared the feast in the right way and had eaten in all the right way. It's a very holy time. And yet this woman here is this holy section of time. time ends is caught in the act of adultery. Now I'm not sure whether she was married and was with another man or if the man was married and she was with him both would have been considered adultery in this time. They may have both been married, for all we know. But what we do know is not whether or not she was married or wasn't or how she did it. What we know is that she did it. She was caught in the very act. She had her hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. And this sin was a sin that would defile one of the most important covenants established by God. And this is the marriage covenant. And so how depraved is she in this sin? But might I remind you, her story is our story. You say, well, preacher, I've, I've never committed adultery. You've lost your mind. Her story is not my story. But might I remind you of what Brother James has to say about sin. In James 2 and 10, he, he, he paints us in a corner with our, with our conviction. He says, if you hold all of the law, but break only one, you're guilty of them all. Let me say that again. If you hold all the laws but one, you're guilty of them all. You know what that means? What that very literally means, what James is writing and what Jesus is teaching and what John has written and what the whole theme of the Bible is this. You can hold true to all the man-made laws and all of the things that have been written that you want to, but if you mess up one time, one time, you're just as guilty as the person that messed up on all of them. And you know what? You can't set yourself free from that burden. That burden bought you hell. You were born with enough sin to earn you hell. Just like this poor woman who was caught in adultery. So he says this. Whatever you've done puts you in the same category as this woman caught in this act of depravity. But let us look at also what her depravity had earned her. Look what verse 5 says to us. Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. The law of Moses said that the punishment of her sin was death. That was a just punishment for her deeds. I want, I want to be clear. This is not something the Pharisees made up. or not something they came up with to kind of make it look worse than it was. Her sin had earned her death. She is not innocent. She is a guilty woman. She was caught in the act. There is no trial that's going to save her from this guilt. There is nothing that's going to be said. No surprise witness is going to come from the back and say, No, 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 they they took a video at the wrong time. Or they caught her in the wrong moment. Or that's not what she was doing. Her guilt has been established. She was very guilty. And Leviticus 20.10 says that the punishment for what she had done would be that she would be stoned to death. Did I mention though that her story, it's our story. Her story is our story, even if we haven't committed. Adultery. No matter what we've done, if we've fallen short on one, I don't think there's a person here that would claim not to have fallen short on at least one of the laws that we are to uphold as believers. Not one of the things that would separate us from God. Not one of us could claim not to be sinners. And can I tell you what that means? In the book of Romans, Paul writes these words. He says, the wages of your sin is death. Let me say that again. Whether you've committed adultery or whether you've told a lie or whether you've just been born with a nature of sin, the wages of that sin is death. What that means, very literally, most of us have worked for a living, right? You work, you fill out your time sheet, you you turn in your bill, you do whatever you do, you submit that. They pay you, right? The wages for your work is that payment that you've received. And that is a just payment. That's an agreed upon payment that you said you would do. My friends, your sin, the wages, the just wages that you have earned for that would be that you would die and go to an eternal hell. If you're listening this morning... You deserved hell. Your story was the same as this lady's story. The death that she deserves. It's the same death that we deserve for our sin. But thank God it doesn't stop there. The sin that she committed. But I want us to look at the scheme that she's called in, though. Because I, I do want us to make sure we tell the whole story. There's a scheme that she's called in. It'd be easy... At this point, to look at it, lose sight uh, of the story and and say that the main character is this lady. And that the Pharisees are the villains and that Jesus is the judge. But my friends, can I tell you that if if there's a part of your Bible, Genesis through Revelation, that you don't see that Jesus is the main character in the story, you need to go reread it. Because from Genesis to Revelation, the entire theme of the Bible is the story of how God sent His Son... To die for a sinful man. That's the theme of the whole thing. From creation to completion. It's the story of Jesus Christ and how God saves unworthy people. So if you look at this story and you see this lady as the star, I want you to realize that she's just a bit player in a scheme that's going on here. The Pharisees are playing a game. The Pharisees have been playing this game called Kill the Nazarene. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to kill Jesus because he causes a trouble. He causes a, a, a big problem in their system. They had a good system. It's a pretty good system when you're the one that decides what everybody else ought to do, isn't it? That's a pretty good place to be. And my wife is there in our family. She's got the system played out just right. She decides what everybody ought to do. Sometimes I do it. Bless God, not often. But the Pharisees had a good system going and all of a sudden Jesus comes along and he does what? He blows that system to smithereens. He says, all this junk y'all been peddling and telling everybody they ought to do, that's a bunch of crap. What they got to do to be made right with God is not wash their hands. They got to be washed in the blood. What they got to do to be made right with God is not to walk 14 minutes on Sunday and 12 minutes on Monday. They can walk wherever they want to long as they walk with Jesus. That's all they got to do to be made right. And so he's messed their plan up. He's messed their scheme up and they want to kill him because they see they're losing their power. But I want you to look at the end of chapter 7. You don't believe what I'm telling you. You ain't got to turn. Well, most of you shouldn't have to turn. It ought to be right there. What had happened was the Pharisees sent people to arrest Jesus. I get going sometimes. They sent sent the people to arrest Jesus. And they brought him in. And they really wanted wanted to trap him. right? They needed to arrest him. They needed to get him. But Jesus said, ain't time for you to get me yet. So you ain't going to get it done. Verse 51 of their own Nicodemus. Now keep in mind, they didn't know this is the same Nicodemus They went to see the teacher in John chapter 3 where we get John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't die but have everlasting life. Nicodemus has been touched by the master. He's had an encounter with Jesus. So now he stands in their court. They bring Jesus in and Nicodemus says, oh, wait a minute. We can't do this. Because he should at least have a a moment to speak for himself. We can't hold him at this point. We got no reason to hold him, so they had to let him go. That's why Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at the beginning of John chapter 8. Nicodemus said, we can't condemn him. He's got to be able to speak for himself. So the Pharisees have said what? All right, we couldn't get him on nothing. We got to find something to get him on. So they put all their intelligent heads together. And they came up with a scheme. Now, here in John chapter 8, they are under Roman authority. That means the Roman government is the government that's in charge of the land. And they need to get something from Jesus that would condemn him. So they're under the Roman authority. So if they tried to carry out the death sentence here. So if somebody tried to dole out a death sentence, it would be against the Roman law. Because under Roman law, only the judge that was placed there by Rome would have the authority to give the death sentence. But not only are they under the Roman law, but because they were some law-loving folk, they were also under the Mosaic law. And the Mosaic law said what this woman had done had earned her a stoning. And so here was the Pharisees' plan. They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this woman caught in adultery. We're going to slide up to Jesus, and we're going to do this. We're going to remind him that in Leviticus, Moses wrote that she ought to be stoned to death. And we're going to ask him what he says. Now, if he says, go through with the Mosaic law and stone her, he'll be breaking the Roman law, and we can arrest him. But if he says, we have to stick to the Roman law, take her to the higher court, he'll be going against the Mosaic law, and we can arrest him. Right? Seemed like a a lose-lose situation for Jesus and a win-win for the Pharisees. The Pharisees just forgot who they were dealing with. The Pharisees forgot who they were dealing with. Can I just say, I think sometimes we forget who we're dealing with. We come up with this scheme in our head how we're going to fool Jesus. Right? I'm going to live this life of sin and I'm going to fool everybody around me and Jesus ain't going to notice like we're some kind of crazy people that can get through with it. Can I just tell you something? He already knows what you was going to do before you did it. He knows the number of the hairs on your head. For some of you that's not a feat, but for some of you that's something. And if he knows all the hairs on your head, you think he don't know that lie you told this morning? If he knows all the hairs on your head and know them before you was in your mother's womb, do you not think that he knows that you lost your temper yesterday? Quit hiding it and repent. Get right with God. My goodness. This was a scheme. Can I just point out something else to you? Now, I'm listen. I'm preaching at the Rocky Valley Baptist Church in Wilson County outside the city limits of Lebanon underneath the rock quarry. I'm a country boy. I was born right down the road. Grew up three minutes from this church in the Cedars of Lebanon State Park. All right? I didn't come from Harvard. I don't got 19 degrees that explain stuff to me but I'm just about smart enough to put this together to know that this is a scheme that these Pharisees are playing. They don't want justice. They have no justice in mind. They're playing a game trying to kill the Nazarene because can I just tell you, if they wanted justice, they'd be two people they brought to Jesus. Now again, I don't got all the degrees to support it, but I'm pretty sure I understand anatomy, and it takes two people to do adultery. If they wasn't but one of them, it wouldn't have been adultery. It would have been thinking. If they wanted justice, they'd have brought two people to Jesus. No, they wanted a scheme, and they wanted to use this woman to make their point. So so the first part of the scheme has been set here, but I want you to look at how it kind of unravels before him, because Jesus is good at doing what Jesus is getting ready to do. He's going to take the very thing that they brought to him to condemn her, and he's going to twist it back on them. See, the law of Moses didn't really have any condemning power. It kind of reminds me, you know those speed limit signs that they put up heading into a construction zone that just flash your speed? They don't have any condemning power, do they? All they can do is tell you that what you're doing is wrong. You know the ones that you go by and they look like Christmas lights flashing. Without a judge without a police officer, without somebody to pull you over and give you a ticket and administer justice, that sign didn't do anything but show you that what you were doing was wrong. Now this law of Moses is very similar to that. It's merely a standard that has been written by man. And if there's not a judge to carry out the punishment, it's just something that you say. You did this wrong according to the law of Moses. But we don't have any way to carry out the punishment unless somebody doles out that punishment. According to Galatians 3, the law of Moses is merely a tutor. It's merely a mark that shows us what? That we need Jesus. That's what the law of Moses was intended to do. And so the Pharisees say, according to the law of Moses, this woman ought to be stoned. And Jesus, I kind of think he stood there. I don't know. But my ADHD got the better of me this week, and I thought, I believe this is what Jesus did. I believe they came with this woman, and Jesus kind of stood there quiet for a minute. And I believe he kind of stooped over. And I believe he took his time writing in the sand, and I believe all of them were looking. What's he doing? What's he doing? We brought a question to him. Why is he... What's he doing? Now many scholars smarter than me have spent a lot of ink and time trying to figure out what Jesus writes here in the dirt. But the word used for write here has a connotation of being used to write against something. So it's like a rebuttal type of writing that Jesus is doing in the dirt. I don't know what Jesus wrote for sure. But I wonder if maybe it wasn't Maybe Jesus was beginning to write the names of the sins that they had committed in the dirt. I don't know that. That's just Brother Jason's thoughts. Nobody knows for sure the Bible doesn't tell us. We'll ask him when we get there. But I just can't help. Whatever he was writing in the dirt, I know it went against what they were bringing. And I can't help but think maybe he was kind of writing the names of the sins that they had committed. And it's kind of like Jesus saying, well you're right. If on this day we're going to fulfill the law of Moses, boys, let's just fulfill it. Because if we're going to dole out the punishment on her, we might as well dole it out on you too. Let me say that again. If we're going to condemn this woman under the law of Moses, let's make sure the standard's set for everybody here. Because I'm the only one that hadn't sinned. I know where I'm at. And I know where all of you are at. And they looked at that, I believe. And I believe one old boy looked at it and thought, "Well, if he's gonna stone her, he's gonna have to stone that lady I had an affair with too." I'm gonna slide out of here before he sees me. And one feller looked at it and he said, "Well, if we're gonna stone her, I'm gonna be set outside the camp. For those things that I did last week, I better, I better slide on back. My scheme's falling apart in front of me." And I believe one by one they looked over at that dirt and thought, I don't need to be here. I don't don't need to be here. Their scheme backfired miserably. Church, I ask you this question. I promise we're winding to the end. But how many times have we been pharisaic in our mindset as we look down on somebody and we say, boy, can you believe what they did? And how many times would we have to look in the dirt and go, boy, would you look at what I did? See, we ought to look down at the condemned and the sinner not with pity and not with shame but with an open arm, we would put their arm around them and say, guess what? I was right where you are. But bless God by the blood of the Lamb I've been set free. That's what we ought to do, people. We ought not spend so much time telling people what they've done wrong. We ought to tell them what Jesus did right. That's what I'm saying. It it, it ain't about how bad they are. It's about how good he is. And if we get caught up telling how bad they are, you know what we're going to have? We're going to have an empty church house full of one holy person. And I don't know who you're going to be because I'll be gone because I ain't holy. There ain't nothing holy about me. But they something atoned about me, I know that. The sin that she committed, the scheme that she was caught in, and finally this morning, the Savior who was displayed. Jesus looked up. He looked up. What's he ask her? He says, Hey, where's them accusers at, lady? Who's going to condemn you? She said, Ain't nobody left. Jesus, ain't nobody left here to condemn me. You know, what's funny is the only one who could have condemned her was still there, wasn't he? That's the only one that could have passed out the judgment and condemned her. But what did he do? He said, you know what? I don't condemn you either. ma'am. I want you to go and sin no more. Now, this is how I know the lady got saved. She came in the encounter with Jesus and she left change. She got saved right there because when it says go and sin no more, let's just be smart. She didn't suddenly fall out of the curse of Adam and forget that she wanted to sin. When he says go and sin no more, what he means is very literally go and be free from the burden of your sin. You have been bought and paid for, ma'am, by my blood. I ain't even shed it yet, but I'm getting ready to and you've been covered by it already, honey. You go. You live your life knowing that you've been redeemed. Didn't I tell you that the star of the show was going to be Jesus by the time we got done? He says death is what you earn, but life is what you get. Punishment is what you've earned, but pardon is what you receive. And did I mention that her story is my story this morning? Her story is your story this morning. Every one of us Earned death with our sin. But bless God, we got a Savior that said, You don't have to suffer what you deserve. I already did it for you. You don't got to, you don't got to take what you've earned. I put it on my back on a cross on Calvary's Hill. I bought your freedom with my death. I bought your life with my life. And I covered your sin with my blood. It means that no scheme of man, remember those Pharisees? That's what that verse means when it means no scheme of man can condemn you. No power of hell can condemn you if Jesus saves you. So maybe you're here this morning. You say I was sinned long ago. I was saved. He sinned too. But I was saved long ago and far away, brother. But I haven't lived the life that I should live. Won't you come this morning and and lay that burden down at the feet of Jesus? Rise up like that woman and hear Jesus say, go and sin no more. Come lay that at his feet. Maybe you're here and you say, brother, it just feels like everywhere I turn, people are throwing stones at me. People are pelting, pelting them at me, telling me all that I've done wrong and all I've been wrong. And you know what? They're probably right, brother. I probably have earned every one of those stones. I can't come back to Jesus. Everybody's seen what I've done. I can't get saved. Everybody's seen the way that I've lived, my friends. Can I just tell you that my copy of God's word says that there is therefore now no condemnation. That means it don't matter what you've done. It matters what he did. And that's good enough no matter what you've done. Would you come To the feet of Jesus and cry out to Him. If you've never accepted Him as your Savior, what better morning as we celebrate the upcoming independence of our country to enjoy a freedom that you've never before experienced and that is the freedom from your burden of sin. Let me make no bones about it. Your sin has earned you death but your Savior has given you life. You know, there was a book written. I read it in school, I think. It's called The Scarlet Letter. In that book, there's a character, Hester Prynne, and she has committed adultery. And when she dies, there's a big old scarlet-colored A put on her tombstone for adulterer. And I thought about that in light of this story. And I thought, you know what? When I die, they can put a big A on my tombstone, too, for all I care. But it won't stand for adulterer. It won't stand for alcoholic. It won't stand for addict. And it sure won't stand for alone. It'll stand for atoned. Label me a sinner saved by grace. And that'll be just fine with me. Won't you come this morning? And accept what Jesus has already given you. And that is freedom from your burden of sin. Let's pray. God, our Father, we come to you this morning. God, we thank you that there is still power in the blood of Jesus. God, we thank you that there's still freedom from the burden of sin. So God, throughout this house in the morning, under the sound of this useless voice, God... All throughout this house, God, there are those who come in here under a burden of their sin. Maybe they got saved a long time ago, but they've wondered. Maybe they've been in church every week, but they're still under the burden of their sin. It's got them shackled by that heavy load. They can't serve you the way they need to serve you. They don't have the joy that they used to have. God, would you give them the courage and the conviction to come? say I want to lay this at your feet Jesus I want to leave this burden right here God I thank you that in your word you tell us there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus God in a house this size and I know there's one who says I've never been saved I've never been to church or I've been in church my whole life, but I don't know that I know that if I walked out those doors and I didn't make it home, I don't know that my eternity would be with you in heaven. God, would you give them the conviction this morning to cry out to you and say, God, please save me. I want to be yours and enjoy the freedom that is so unexplainable. this very moment. Father, we love you. We pray that you've been glorified so far and we thank you for all that you've done and it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.